0: This is Managing E-Learning with Dr. John Alexson and Matt Herpold. Welcome to Managing E-Learning. I am excited today to welcome our guest, Tobin Conley, strategic consultant from the consulting firm Delco. Tobin, how is the day going today?
1: It's been an adventure, Matt, let me tell you. Um, never a dull moment, and so that's one of the things I love about my job that and helping associations. So thank you guys for having me. I think this is great. Tobin, you've got
2: quite the reputation and so does Delcor, the firm firm you work with,
1: especially in the ASAE community. Tell us about your credentials. Sure. I'm, I'm a certified association executive, a CAE, and, and that's roughly about 5% of the folks who are in the association world get that, that designation. And I think it is, it is lovely because for a long time, John, they wouldn't let people who weren't directly working for associations get it. But about, oh, I don't know, six years ago, seven years ago, ASAE said, nope, if you can take the test, if you can pass the test, if you match the qualifications, you can become a CAE. So I'm pleased to bear and proud to bear those letters after my name.
0: For all the listeners out there, can we clarify a couple acronyms? Oh, A-C-A-E, yes. C-A-E.
1: Absolutely. A-S-A-E does not stand for always standing, always eating, because that's what it seems like when you're at one of their meetings. God love them. But it's the American Society of Association Executives, and they're really an association of associations, almost a meta association. And they're the ones who provide best practices and good good policy and guidance for associations throughout the United States and the world. And CAE, like I said, it's a certified association executive, a designation that you have to have several um, pre-qualifications for, and then you sit for an examination. And then, of course, there's continuing education. I love how the association world Lives for acronyms. I'm telling you. And I'm from DC, the Alphabet Soup, the home of the TLA three-letter acronym.
2: You're an expert in in online learning. I think at the time you taught a course for the C CAE and it was called distance education. Is that correct?
1: I did. And and in fact, I personally, Delcor has been around for like 36 years and we deal primarily with uh, associations and other nonprofits. I myself have been with Delcor for 20. And prior to that, I spent an equal amount of time in the association world. And I was just thinking my first association um, experience and job which is further back than I call care to remember in the 1980s, or actually a, an association in their professional development department. They have taught courses. I'm a past chair of ASAE's Professional Development Leadership Council. Um, but I tell you what, John, like you, I love to learn a new thing every day. And that really, to me, is the key to lifelong learning and education. And I hope that's one of the things that keeps me in here in the game at Delcor is because I learn something every day.
2: So, it, what really is interesting to me is the the term or the the breath of the people that work at Delcor, how many years they've been
1: together. what's the secret? We've kept the band together a long time, John. I tell you, the secret sauce, I think is is the passion we share and, and the curiosity. And the, the earnest belief that we can actually make a difference. One of the things, I, you know, I like to kid around and say, I've got like 42 reasons why I love my job. But one of them is that you do learn there is an association for everything. Actually, there's typically two, the mothership and the splinter group. But the thing is, is you've got an association for almost every walk of life. And almost all of them have some form of continuing education in their programming. So I think that we love to do the right thing. And there's almost a multiplier effect. You know, it's, it's one of those things. If I can help, say, for example, um, speech pathologists do their jobs better, if the association can help them. In fact, actually, the karmic wheel has turned and paid it forward for me in this regard. I was able to use early in my tenure at Delcor, the, the ASHA, find a speech pathologist for our son. And we found a really great person. And so, you know, what goes around comes around.
2: That's great. Let's talk a little bit about the past 12 months. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, how how do you think the pandemic has impacted association technology?
1: Well, you know, the thing that's hit everybody, not just associations, is the whole work from home and remote type of thing. And and that's a huge pivot for a lot of And yes, I'm going to use the P word. It's a huge pivot for a lot of people to do. And, and people, have dealt, organizations have dealt with it in a variety of different ways. It has actually forced folks to embrace more digital solutions. Uh, you know, 12 months ago, 13 months ago, people would not have contemplated the term "Zoom fatigue," but I bet we've all experienced it now. So, it's it's something that has really changed the way we look at things and the way we work. I mean, people have dove they've dove headfirst into Microsoft products like Teams. You know, people were reluctant to do that. We put all of this in the sort of broad basket of the digital workplace and how to get guardrails around because there are so many places that you can put stuff now. You really have to have some ground rules in place in order to make it all work and not go crazy. Now, one of the other things that we found in the last 12 months is clearly virtual conferences, virtual meetings, exploded And now everybody and their brother, even those people who never even offered products like it, like LMSs, they say, oh, we've got one now. But um, one of the things that we actually reacted to this crisis with is spinning up a practice, which we call VETS, and it's virtual event technology strategy. And this is grounded in the premise that you got to start with technology strategy before practice. Mm -hmm. Don't go out and buy the bright, shiny object. Figure out what you want to do first. And that's really been something that's been quite successful.
0: Would you say the majority of your projects then in the last 12 months have been focused on the virtual event market or virtual events all around?
1: Well, you know, it's an interesting question, Matt. They were uh, as a sort of knee-jerk reaction probably a year ago and for the next several months. But as time has gone by and people realize, one, this isn't going away anytime soon, and two, this isn't going away anytime soon, and that life goes on, they really have started doing more selections and, and you know, kind of keeping business going. And, and they really, uh, a lot of times people figured they can't put it off any longer. So yes, it's changed it, but it's not wholly our business. Have you found that association
2: executives and board are more, more focused on digital transformation?
1: Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, I had one group out of New Jersey who's really focused a huge project on that. Because, you know, again, a lot of times it's driven by follow the money. Their money, their their non-dues revenue dwarfed their dues revenue, and it was largely driven by their conference business. So they had to rethink how they were going to get people in, how they were going to engage them, how they were going to get sponsors and exhibitors to do their thing. And and yeah, that's that's critical for them.
2: So the face-to-face conference, as you said, was their their big moneymaker. And that was a combination of networking opportunities, dinner out, a few parties. Just a few. (laughs) <laughs> part yeah, part vacation, and then they they threw a lot of sessions, educational sessions, in, and then they would give credits for those attending those sessions. So now that it's moved online, how do you see that changing membership and and association executives' perception of online
1: learning? I think it is it has risen to the fore. John, because it's a really kind of porous boundary that's now been exposed as such that really, you know, the whole idea between a virtual conference and a blended learning experience, everybody says, oh, it's all going to be hybrid. And I was like, oh, the H word. Okay, fine. But like they've been people have been doing blended learning successfully, I might add, some better than others for many years. And and so some of these concepts are not new to some groups, but they're totally terra incognita to others. So I, I think my suggestion is by pairing people up with peers and also leaders in the field like yourselves to kind of learn more before you just jump into the fire.
2: Right. Yeah. I think, you know, the most obvious dramatic change has been the ubiquitous nature of the webcam. People are no longer afraid to be on camera and to communicate. And I think that's going to have far reaching positive effects for online learning.
1: It is. And and I got to tell you, too, one of the, you know, my glass half full days, there is a huge untapped potential for people who would never cross the country, cross the state, cross the globe to go to a meeting, but yet they, from the comfort of their home, and have exposure now granted okay the two toughest nuts to crack are serendipitous meetings like you said you i run into you in the hall and matt joins us and it's like who knew the three of us would be together mm-hmm. um and then decide to go out to a bar no um but <laughs> there's Never. that and there's the exhibitors and sponsors because we've all been in booths both real and virtual and some experiences tower over others and and it's really hard to replicate that engagement that you can get Say, for example, I mean, this happens, quite frankly, all the time in the Delcor booth. It's kind of like old home week. If you've been around as long as we have, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, my old friend from 10 years ago. And they're saying, oh, yeah, I remember. It's probably time we do that again. It's like, okay, And meanwhile, somebody else new ambles up that they know and say, hey, you should meet these bums. They're great. You know, so it's very, very difficult to replicate that. Virtual. Right. especially your
2: your great marketing that you do with the conferences
1: uh, well you know it's, we've been known to buy a room key or two yes <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah it's it's really changing things and i i i think it's going to be a challenge to for both um association executives and their constituents as well as the vendors who support them the partners to define what will constitute a successful virtual event or I'm sorry, not virtual, hybrid event. Because, you know, my, my mantra on all of this is no attendee left behind.
2: Can you, You've you been using hybrid and blended. Can you define the two? I think you make a distinction, don't you, between them?
1: I do, I do. Everybody's calling hybrid meetings uh, events that have a face-to-face component as well as a virtual component. Personally, I found more classically the blended experience is more thoughtfully designed to preload your mind by you know engaging you virtually beforehand then you hit the ground running when you're having the in-person or face-to-face synchronous bit then the learning continues when you're asynchronously with your cohort that i mean that i've always loved that works like a charm but yeah virtual uh virtual plus face-to-face hybrid i just don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet i don't know if anybody does
0: it's going to be interesting because there are those who want to see everyone in person, but there's still going to be that percentage who want to have the flexibility to attend from home and not do the traveling and not partake in all those. So there's, there's some discovery still to be had.
1: around. Oh, absolutely. And I think one of the most fascinating things, I had a client who's done some good work in this area. They created personas, you know, virtual Vicky and, you know, uh, cautious Carl and all of this. It's just, because you're going to have to play to various audiences, some of whom are eager to meet face-to-face, some of whom will never do it again, and some who are waiting to see.
0: Slight pivot now to talk a little bit more about Delcor, if you're okay with that, Tobin.
1: I am um, always happy to talk about Delcor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> could yes, you give everyone just a quick 30-second elevator pitch on why they should work with you and Delcor?
1: Uh, we, with me personally or Delcor generally, of course. Uh, no, I can, I can start with Delcor, certainly. Um, Delcor, as, as I like to say, we're an independent technology management consulting firm. And yes, that is truly a mouthful. But the good news is, is we, we don't show up to sell them anything. What we do when we do our jobs well, is we take our experience and expertise and find out about your unique needs and provide you with options. We don't hold a gun to anybody's head and say, thou shalt do X. We say, here's your situation. Here are some options. Here are the pros and cons of each. We help build a business case.
0: That's great. And then I guess on the other side of that, why should they specifically hire you?
1: <laughs> well, uh, fortunately, I, I've, in my checkered past, like I said, I spent about 20 years in, in between a short stint in higher education and a number of associations We've walked a mile in their shoes and I've, I've been a database administrator, a webmaster. I've been a vice president of membership. I've been in marketing and communications. I've been around the horn and to folks in the association world, it shouldn't surprise them much because you often wear many hats, but, but I think that the credibility that you can bring from understanding somebody's situation really lends credence to your ability to help them solve their problems. I am the practice lead for the IT maturity model at Delcor. So it is something that often the the genesis of that is people would come to us and say, our IT is broken. And I'd say, well, tell me what you mean by that. Well, the website stinks and the AMS doesn't work and we haven't got this and we haven't got that. And the pieces don't talk together. I was like, okay, let's step back. And basically it's a diagnostic framework that looks at four basic areas that are interrelated. Your infrastructure, the stuff that plugs in, lights up, goes to the cloud, the foundational layer without which nothing else works. The data repositories and that data management doesn't just mean your association management system or CRM, it means all the little data pots that are running around your organization often in what I call the AMS, or the database of last resort Excel and how, you, how the data flow works. A critical part of that is data governance. And, and that really gets back to sort of the planning. It's like, what do we need to know Where do we have this information? What are we going to do with it? Third area is digital, your your mobile, social, your website. In many cases, the first and sometimes the only face of the organization people see. And then finally, my favorite playground is the management and administration of technology. That's the people, the policies, the protocols, the things that should support, but often tear apart your technology initiatives. We look at all four of those and look if they're restrictive, functional, effective, or innovative. It's a place to start.
0: So do you refer to each of those items or topics to go through as the different levels of the maturity model then?
1: Yes. In fact, Matt, it, it's, you're right. I just kind of reeled them off there. I mean, it, oftentimes, you know, people don't often come to us when everything is hunky-dory and, and it's everything's just great. But they want to know prioritization. And oftentimes, people are in a restrictive state. That's where technology is really holding you back. Sometimes, and often is the case, in fact, it can be areas of the organization's technology can be in a functional state, meaning it's just eking it out. You know, we're doing it, but we're it's like the duck. It looks smooth from the top, but it's moving like crazy underwater. Sometimes there are areas of an association's technology that are effective. They're hitting the mark. They're hitting on all cylinders. It's all good. I'll be honest with you, though. Very rarely do we find folks in the innovative range. That is aspirational. That is something that you want to move up that score, so that at the end of the day, you're not only meeting your constituents' needs, you're anticipating, and you're leading your folks. So yeah. That's- so when
2: when you're when you're being hired, uh, and I'm speaking Delcor in general, what what percentage is more strategic, and which is more tactical? And what I mean by that tactical being you're you're going to help them select a platform.
1: Wow, it really depends, John, on where what their most immediate need is. Um, no matter what the, the engagement, we try to bring strategy into it because really our, our general credo is, and I think I mentioned this earlier, strategy comes first. What are your business goals and objectives? Uh, a, a more simple way of thinking of it is, what problem are we trying to solve here, people? You know, it's like, really, you start with that question, it opens things up in a weird sort of way that sometimes meanders a little bit away from technology, but we always bring it back home to okay, if you want to do x, y and z, what are the tools that you need, you know, and, and we're, we're big on triage too. when we do selections, as you know, we put stuff into three categories, mandatory preferred and optional, what do you what are the must haves, what are the nice to haves and what are the things that would be gravy or tiebreakers.
0: If you have to label one, what would you say is the most important tech purchase for association,
1: that is? Wow. That's sort of like, what's what's the best beer? The one that's right mm-hmm. in front of me. No, I'm just kidding. There's there's often a trade-off between the most urgent and pressing and the most important. You know, ultimately, I would say that I've often been known to say data is the um, data are the currency of the 21st century. So a lot of folks would say it would be your database of records. But that having been said, there's been a lot of ebb and flow around the whole traditional hub and spoke, single database of record and a more distributed data architecture where you've got multiple, like, say, your LMS could be a database of record for learning. Your, you know, there are different connective tissues that are involving different programs. It could, for some, be the web. If, in fact, that is your main sort of your lead. For others, it could be the learning management system. Because like this one group that I was talking about, if in fact, if say, for example, you're a medical society and you do a lot of CE, you do MCCE, CME, MOC, MOUSE. No, if if you do a lot of continuing medical education, if you do maintenance of certification, that could be a huge non-dues revenue generator for you. So if that's not working for you, that's a problem and that is your most important thing to address talk a little bit
2: about ams's association management systems do you get many of those gigs where they want to switch and what is the state today oh
1: yeah well john it's 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 in some ways it's the same as it ever was but there are some wrinkles on that because quite frankly how many people do you know who really love 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 their association management or customer relationship management system, not too many. Now I would argue that sometimes that's somewhat self-inflicted and people just suffer in silence. I mean, I've had people who have had the same database for the last 15 years and they're still paying the price for a flawed implementation. It's like building a house on a very rickety foundation and then just saying, that's okay. I'll paint it. And it'll be much better. You know What we're seeing now that's, I think, a little bit of a variation on a theme is you're getting some of these heavyweight players in the market, uh, most notably Microsoft and Salesforce, around which people are building algorithms and marketing systems, whether they're customer relationship management or association management systems, based on that kernel of either uh, dynam- Microsoft Dynamics or Salesforce. You know, it, it sounds good, but the devil's in the details. And, and at the end of the day, you got to know your requirements first. It's, it's not the bright, shiny object that does the heavy lift.
2: Let's, let's move on to, um, to learning platforms. You know, the associations need to provide continuing education for their members. It's a significant um, mission. Tell me a little bit what, uh, how you've seen the platforms grow and the use of the platforms from when you first started to today.
1: Well, one of the key things is, as you know, it's one of those things where it used to be the whole model is changing. Uh, it used to be just like with the association management systems in the sort of pre-cloud days, you would you would pay to buy the software, you would download it. There would be maybe a thin client at best, and everybody would have the software on their machines running. Now a lot of it is probably software as a service and/or cloud-based. It's one of those things where uh, you get a lot richer. Set of features and functionality that are available through configuration instead of customization, which is a wonderful thing, um, because quite frankly, customization is is something that we warn our folks to say it's a last resort. You know, it's it's otherwise it's just not. Um, it's the gift that keeps on giving for whoever builds it. You know, even if you're building it yourself, it's just not a good thing to engage in. But I think now actually you're you're seeing that that folks have a lot more interoperability as well. You know, open APIs, uh, webhooks, you can do a lot more. But that, to my mind, also says you've got to plan more. used to all be self-contained in a box. And now you've really got to think about the ripple effects of everything you do.
2: What have you seen as the latest
1: shiny object in learning platforms? Oh, dear. Let me think. Well, you know, in some sectors... And again, it's, it's too soon to say, but I think that longitudinal assessment is a hot item, especially among many of the medical professions. And just what that means and how that's done is something that I am going to follow personally in, in the months and years to come, because I think that there's fascination in the, the whole idea of lifelong learning and how do you get your arms around it? How do you measure it? And, and how do you provide it? I think that's something it's not necessarily just a bright, shiny object. It's an area of fascination for me going forward.
2: So, you know, we have a platform, as you know, so I need to put a little plug in here for it, but you had mentioned that you thought we were a good fit for the, what is that? The water environmental Environmental federation. Federation.
1: (laughs) They're the one star Trek federation I'm aware of. (laughs) No, it it is. It was one of the things where, you know, they were, they were very rigorous in terms of outlining what their requirements were. And they fit very well with not only the flexibility that you all provided as an LMS, but there's that added bonus, that crossover where they may be able to use some of your platform features for some of their virtual conferences. And I see this as a huge potential in many ways for organizations. One of, the, my, my, one of my recent hobby horses is what I call a Helping people think about creating a digital products portfolio. And that's where, you know, this whole mountain of content that people are are producing digitally through all of these virtual and or hybrid conferences needs a place to live. And if you can repurpose with purpose using an LMS, usually I would say that's probably your key tool to do that. You can basically both underscore the value proposition of membership and or monetize by repurposing and packaging content and serve your your members. So like you do good, do well.
0: Repurpose that, that excites me. Repurpose with purpose. I'm stealing that, just so you know.
1: Please. So I you know, me. to the best of my knowledge, I you know, <laughs> I'm sure I wasn't the one who made it up, but it, it certainly sounds good. <laughs> no, it
0: it it makes too much sense not to steal. So.
1: Yes. Please, don't st- stealing is such a vulgar word now. <laughs> Repurpose it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Having been around association tech for many years and having seen a lot through all of those years, what advice do you have for customers and vendors when they're going through discovery processes? Well,
1: I got the five B's. Be realistic. Be truthful with yourself and with your partners because that's the best place to establish trust. Be transparent. That's kind of an extension of that. Be transparent with your fellow staff members as well as your business partners. And sometimes that means bringing all of your business partners to the table at the same time so the left hand knows what the right hand's doing so you don't have people pointing at each other. Be thorough. You know, Be rigorous and disciplined about what you need and what you want and determining the difference between the two. Be flexible because, quite frankly, you're not always going to get everything you want. And so work with, you know, stuff happens. So don't, you know, don't, for God's sake, don't tell the board you're going to have it in July unless you absolutely know you can, because that's the surest way to the unemployment line. And finally, be your best. Bring bring your A game as often as you can, every day if you can do it. It's hard in these circumstances, but I got to tell you, it it makes you feel at the end of the day you've done a good day's work. So those are my five B's. Just made those up. <laughs> well said.
2: Yeah. Words of wisdom. Well, thank you so much, Tobin. I think got a lot
1: out of this, this uh, podcast today. We're glad you could be a part of it. Well, thank you for allowing me to share some Tobinisms with you. That's what my <laughs> colleagues called them. It's like, oh, my God. It's like, you need a new writer. But, you know, hey, if it works, it works. I really I enjoy, enjoy my it. job. <laughs> yeah.
0: That was Tobin Conley with Delcor. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for all the listeners for listening and we will see you next time.